My guest today hails from South Africa, but is based in Canada, where he worked with Microsoft as Director of Business Applications. I had the pleasure of meeting him several years ago when he worked at Oracle, and his attitude and outlook set him apart. But don't take my word for it. Pick any of the dozens of glowing testimonials he's received on LinkedIn if you want to get a sense of this man's character. Here's an example. Having worked directly for Rishan, I can strongly state that he is a born leader and teacher. Rishan's focus, work ethic and creativity to solve customers' business problems is unmatched and he is an asset wherever his career takes him. Here's another one. His unbelievable work ethic, positive attitude and customer-first approach are hallmarks of him as a business leader. He has developed a reputation as a straight shooter internally and with his customers and business partners. And all of this was paramount to his meteoric rise and directly ties to his continuous learning philosophy. It's tough for me to find another individual who has worked for me that has grown their skill set and developed their craft as much as he did during the time we worked together. Rishan Barrett, you're very welcome to the podcast. Paul, thank you so much for being here. I love that introduction. Wow, that was quite a bit right there. And it was uh, the easiest introduction ever, Rishan, because it's on your LinkedIn <laughs> profile. Somebody else wrote it for me. Easiest thing in the world. <laughs> I, I'm curious. I'm, glad that I'm curious, Rishan, because it's been quite the journey. When I first met you, was it in Dublin or Dubai? Dublin. It was in Dublin. It was actually and in Dublin. Yeah. You said you, you, you're from South Africa, but you're now in Canada. Tell me a little bit about that. Start with South Africa, growing up. Um, tell me a little bit about your parents, your schooling there. What were your key influences? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, uh, there's, uh, you know when, we, when I do these sessions and I talk about my journey, I always find myself you know, picking up a thing or two or learning even more about my journey as I continue to describe it. And so you might just gather some of that, you know, as we continue to have the conversation. But yeah, originally from South Africa, as you said, you know, I grew up in the east coast of South Africa in a, in a town called Durban. And, uh, you know, I moved to Johannesburg when I was 17 years old. Didn't really know that I wanted to get into software sales, to be honest with you. Didn't really know that I wanted to, wasn't something that I was super fascinated by or even really had any information on. Mm. But uh, I did meet a lot of people when I was up in Johannesburg just trying to find a job, just big city trying to find a job. And I met a lot of salespeople that were in the IT world and, you know, they had nice cars, they dressed nice, they just had really good lives. And I just was so intrigued by the nice things that they have and the quality of lifestyles that they have. And I said, you know what, I actually want that. And so I kept asking people, like, what do you do? The folks that were in my circle, I kept trying to find out what do they do and just learned a little bit about, you know, the whole sales world and them selling software and just picking up the phone and asking people to buy financial software. That was pretty much, you'd get a disk and you'd install a software and you'd use it and it'll just manage finances. And then I would ask another question, well, why would you need to manage finances? And then, well, I get to learn about how businesses work. I would get to learn about how different companies work. And then it took me back to realizing, well, I always had this interest, you know, growing up, I would always be with my dad in the car. We'd be driving around the street. I'd see warehouses, I'd see companies, and I'd be like, what do they do? I'd be very intrigued to find out, like, what do they do? Like, how do they make money? Like, what is their business model? What does that name mean? And I always, then I realized very quickly that I always had this, in, this, this interest and this, this fascination, which is businesses. And so it all came together when I really saw the quality and the outcome of salespeople doing in that, being in that profession uh, and then aligning that with my business curiosity. 
And so I decided to just continuously ping people. I, I want a job. I want a job. I want a job. I want to get in there. And so I got a job at a company called Sage back then. It was, uh, I was 17 going on 18. And I, I took a job to do a little bit of administration work. So pretty much doing the invoices and, and the, the quotations and all that stuff. And I just sat beside an inside sales team. Once again, continuously saw the good things that was going on in the sales world. And I pinged them. And I, was, I knew I wanted to get into that role. And then I got into that role. And so I continuously grew, ended up leading a team, an inside sales team at Sage. And, uh, you know, ventured into different companies afterwards, went into HP, went into Oracle, spent a long time at Oracle, uh, moved to Dublin, to Dubai, then back to South Africa, then to the U.S., and then decided that we wanted to move to Canada and then moved to Canada. And I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to be given the opportunity to come and lead a team at Microsoft in Canada across the country. Mm. I'm curious, you mentioned about you driving around with your dad in the car. Talk to me about the influences your parents had on that entrepreneurial flair that you had. My dad was an entrepreneur himself. He, he, had a, he had a couple of small businesses, you know, as we were growing up. So I really had the opportunity to be involved in some of his businesses from a very early stage. Uh, specifically, he had a couple of buses that he would run around just doing a little bit of transportation in the local district, uh, you know, getting government contracts. Uh, he had a couple of trucks as well, so getting some government contracts and transporting equipment for the government. So it really gave me the opportunity to, to see how my dad sustained income through running his own business, uh, you know, having like a little bit of a startup, but also gave me the opportunity to see how he would recruit, hire, and manage people. And do now, when I think about it, back then I probably didn't really have the level of appreciation that I do have now, but now that I think about it, you know, I really see and, and appreciate what he went through from an HR perspective, you know, from an operations perspective, from a sales perspective, from sourcing uh, contracts from the government, from a maintenance, a maintenance to his vehicle perspective. So uh, to answer your question, from an, uh, in, in terms of how he's influenced me and how my parents has influenced me, it really gave me that kind of role model behavior to witness and have visibility into uh, around how to really define success, how to sustain success, how to grow people, how to make an impact to people as well, right? And, and I had the opportunity to see the ups and downs, right? Because as glorious as it might sound, there were a lot of downs along the way. There were a lot of failures. There were a lot of challenges. And at a young age, I would see my dad losing deals, losing bids, not having the sustained income for a long period of time. And so it really gave me that opportunity to, to witness how to deal with that type of failure, how to manage that type of failure, and how to get back on the, tra the trail and continue to plow forward and, and develop new opportunities. And so it was massively, I always say it was massively influential in my path, now that I think about it more than back then. It sounds to me then clearly when they talk about your work ethic that that's something that you got from your parents and you mentioned your dad going around. In terms of your mother, in terms of traits, things you've learned, what, 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 do, you, what do you assign to her influence on you? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I always think about that a lot, right? Because uh, in, in addition to my work ethic and in, in addition to the whole entrepreneurial and business side, you know, some of the qualities of life as a parent myself what did I really absorb and take away from my parents as well, right? And it's that kindness and that care that I really witnessed from my mom. It's that nurturing, right? Uh, you know, sometimes I think she was a little too much with that, which is awesome because I could always take advantage of that, right? And I could exercise that characteristic quite a bit. But uh, that was like a, a key uh, trait and characteristic that I've learned and I've gathered 
for my mom. Mm. You, you mentioned that spending time with your dad and you mentioned a lot of those ups and downs. Talk to me a little bit about what stands out in your mind about those pivotal things that you learned, whether they come from the failures and the successes. There's usually one or two things that stand out. Yeah, so, so South Africa is, is not, or at, I would say probably like maybe 17, 18 years ago, at that time, it was not a very safe country. And so there were a lot of, there was a lot of crime. There was a lot of, uh, there was all things that used to happen to, to people that had their own businesses, especially in the SMB world. And so my dad had these two buses that he used to, that he used to run to transport people in the local community. And so he got hijacked the one time. And uh, yeah, he literally was, was caught in his car uh, by some bad guys and uh, you know they, they shoved a gun through his mouth broke his two front teeth not to get too graphic to you Paul but it was a pretty bad uh, scene yeah. and so it was there was a lot of I guess energy around the reasons that it could have happened um, the uh, the competition uh, you know the environment the climate you know the pretty much everything that was going on in the country at the time so long story short uh, my dad decided to sell the business he was like you know what uh, I'm not if this is the reason that I'm leaning towards, that is uh, why it occurred, I'm probably just gonna pull the plug out of this and just, just move on, right? And so that happened, he did pull the plug out of that, right? And I, I always think about that, and I always talk about that until this day quite a bit, because it, it was a really significant moment in my journey, in my learning as well, right? Mm. Just in terms of witnessing a failure. Mm. And uh, his reaction to that failure, his ability to move forward from that failure was one of the biggest lessons I've ever gathered from him and throughout my life that I apply in my business world today. Mm. And, and that is, you know, to get back on the trail and, and start off again, try venture into something different or venture into the same thing, but continuously focus on the goal and the success that you've originally planned from stage one. So long story short, he got back on the trail, went back into it, and he became even way more successful than he was when, when things started. Uh, it gave him the ability to also now define layers of security to protect himself mm. and to protect his business mm. and ensure that something like that is not repeatable. And it, it obviously wasn't repeatable after mm. that. What was it like then going from that type of environment, very entrepreneurial, and you, you have to deal with things as they're presented to you as bad as they are, pick yourself up and move on. That's a very entrepreneurial type environment. Then you're working in Sage as Inside Sales Manager, which is much more structured, disciplined type of organization. How did you find that transition? Yeah, that's a great question, right? You know, you, you have autonomy, but you don't have autonomy. And as, as a leader, as an employee, you always want to map yourself to qualities and values that you believe in and that you're aligned to, right? Uh, because if you take your own personal autonomy everywhere you go, it's going to be very hard for you to be successful at what you do. And so that's a key decision when making uh, the right choice on who you work for and where do you work, right? And what job you actually do. Because when you're an entrepreneur, which Paul, I'm sure you know, because uh, you do this pretty often and you've done this for way, way more many years than I have. When you're an entrepreneur, you have a lot of your own autonomy, you have your own control, you have your own structure, you have your own morals, your values, your rules, your principles that you live by. But when you're an inside sales manager, for example, at Sage, uh, you have to ensure, I have to ensure that I'm in alignment with what 
the company's morals, values, standards, oh. characteristics, ethics, policies, principles are. And so that was super important for me to very quickly learn because I was also very junior and very green at the time. So it was very important for me to learn that, um, to not neglect or eliminate my own principles and my own philosophies, but adapt to everything that the company believed in and take my own flavor, my own secret sauce, my own superpowers, align it to that and build a successful team, build a successful business. You went from Sage to Dublin, is that correct? Or was there... To HP To first. HP. And that in Durban, in South Africa? That was in South Africa. That was South in Africa. South Africa. S- was similar. Uh, here's what I'm curious about. I'm curious about the um, culture shock of moving from South Africa to, I don't know how far it is, but it's a long way to Dublin, right? It's thousands of miles. Um, different culture. What was that like? Yeah, look, the culture shock is something that I've, I've become immune to now, right? Uh, but back then, I was pretty young in my mm. career. But I was so fascinated by the country. I was so fascinated by Europe. I was just super fascinated by different cultures. I was super fascinated by the way people lived. I also wanted to visit the, the Jameson factory and the, and the Guinness factory as well. <laughs> uh, just kidding. But yeah, look, I was super fascinated by, by different cultures. And I was so intrigued by it that I knew that no matter what, I was going to be a chameleon and adapt mm. because that adaptation was going to be driven by my curiosity for the different cultures and the different lifestyles. What was the hardest and thing to adapt to? The hardest thing to adapt to is the hardest... Apart well, from the me, weather, don't say, say the weather, okay? Can we get, can we, that, like, that's a <laughs> gimme, I'll give you that. <laughs> uh, the hardest thing to adjust, I would say, is communication is communication is key like you have to the one thing i've learned is is that if i could go back in time in my first three months of moving i would have communicated very differently than i did back then Hmm. because in what way i'm sorry i'm curious so the words you use the body language the tone the demeanor with customers with partners with teammates uh, there's a there's a there's a variety there's a variance of different ways of doing things there's a variance of different ways of communicating right And the best way to do it is to understand the people that you're communicating with first before you execute your message, Mm. right? And so sometimes, you know, for lack of a better analogy, you can become a bull in a china shop Mm. uh, because of your curiosity for different cultures and your fascination Mm. by how things work, your fascination by uh, how everybody else lives and operates. And then you tend to overly communicate in the way you're comfortable with. Mm. And so that's something that I've really learned how to adjust. Mm. Is there a cultural difference in terms of how South Africans communicate versus, say, Europeans or certainly Ireland, because that's where you spend time? Yeah. Uh, let, let, me, let me think about that for a second in terms of what is the, what is the key difference that I can talk about. So I, I, would, I was going to say Dublin people are very nice, but uh, South African people are very nice mm, too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've, I've, and, and I've been uh, there a couple of times and uh, I love the place. And I found people really easy to get on. My sense of them was very much uh, just the easy, not to say easy come, easy go, but certainly a sense of open, accepting, tolerant. And I know some of that, because I grew up at a time when, when there was apartheid in place. And I think my first time to South Africa was 1995, the time of the Rugby World Cup unfortunately didn't get to see it but that was 
And I remember what shocked me most was because looking from the outside in, you had a, a certain perspective. But one of the guys I had gone down to see was a partner company of the organization I was working for. And he was as African as you can imagine. Right. In his right. office was a portrait of Nelson Mandela. That was in 1995 when Mandela was president at the time. Right, that's when he came out, remember, at the, with the Springboks in the World Cup. Um, was he president at the time? He must have been. He, he became the president in 1994. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, but, but that was a sort of a pattern interrupt to me. I wasn't expecting it. And so therefore, you, 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 it, it made you question your own assumptions. And, and I don't know, it, from a cultural point of view, uh, South Africa, is, it's, it's, it's a different country in many respects. But in other respects, it's the same. We're, we're just all humans and very accepting, very open, very friendly, very approachable people. Um, yeah, so I, as I said, I love South Africa, no question. That said, I've only ever been to Joburg, so what do I know? Never been to we have a much, We have a much better cricket and rugby team in Ireland. Yeah, now you that. say cricket, you see? What's that? I know they play with bats. And I know there's a, a hard ball, but, and there's ins and outs. That's my reaction to hurling, Paul. That's my this reaction is, to yeah, hurling. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, but listen, t tell me then, you, you spent, what, was it a couple of years in Ireland? No, 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 no. It was actually three months. It was very oh, okay. brief. Yeah, yeah, it was okay. very brief. And then, and then Dubai. Dubai. Okay, so you spent a lot longer, I take it. You had a couple of years there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's another culture shock what was, yeah, what was that absolutely. like is that's that's a strange place again like, I enjoy going there but it's a it's such a cultural mix of people and styles and it's an extremely diverse place but the massive positive with coming out uh, or go, well, living in a, an extremely diverse places is, is you have this opportunity to learn about so many different cultures one of my greatest memories of Dubai is the friendships that I've mm. made I've got Great friends from Paris, from Madrid, from Dublin, from the UK, from Singapore, from Senegal, from Cameroon. I know I'm probably forgetting a few there. And uh, uh, from Chile, right? So uh, it, it's just like, I, whenever I look back at those days, it was one of the best times uh, for my, my family and I. You know, we always talk about that a lot. Like, I know so many different languages at a very entry level, by the way. Uh, just because of our time there, you know, just because of learning uh, from yeah. there, you know, I I've tried so many different types of foods, you know, just a uh, really good experience, really, really good experience. Mm. Uh, did you, is your wife from South Africa? Did you meet her somewhere else? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. your wife has, has done this journey with you? Absolutely. So she, we, we did this journey all together. She moved to Dubai in uh, 2011 and uh, she actually met me there. And then uh, we started our journey together there. And then we had a couple of kids along the way, uh, you know, and, yeah. uh, and here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And what brought you to Canada? I was in the U.S. for five years. And, uh, you know, I was doing very well in the U.S. But we were seeking an opportunity to establish a foundation and solidify our future for our family. So I wanted to, to figure out, you know, which... I had the experience of traveling into so many places. So we were figuring out, you know, which country do we go in that really gives us the quality that we're seeking, right? We were really fortunate and blessed to have that position that we were in, to evaluate that type of criteria. 
And we looked at a few different options. And uh, we had the opportunity to come to Microsoft or come to Canada. Uh, I came over about a year ago, just over a year ago actually. And I met with a couple of the leaders from Microsoft. And you know, just had a chat with them about what their philosophy was and what their leadership style was and what their traits was and what their vision was for this organization and this team. And it was a no-brainer, Paul. From that conversation, it was a no-brainer. What was it about Microsoft that attracted you? Culture. Number one, culture. Number one. You've read some of the stuff there in your introduction from uh, what people would have said about LinkedIn. And I know sometimes those things can be a little sugar-coated and fabricated, right? Because it's always about being positive on the social media platforms, right? But one thing that came out of that, which I really pride myself on, is, is that learning and that growth mindset. And so just purely because of that, it's, a, it's one of the reasons I was attracted to you from day one, was because I knew that as long as I was close to you, as long as I was watching you, I was always gonna learn something. I was always gonna take something. I was always gonna acquire growth or a new skill. And so how that ties into what we're talking about is, is when I met with this leadership team, I realized very quickly that my future, my vision is going to come from how much I'm going to acquire from these type of people and candidates. And so that's why it became a no-brainer. Yeah. Uh, something you do, and I've noticed you do, and I shared it with a sales management group recently and, and they loved it. And I'd love you to share it with people watching this, is the gratitude that you do with your team. Can you talk me through that? Because it, it, it sounds straightforward, but it actually is quite powerful. And I hazard a guess that a lot of, a lot of people are doing it. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take a few steps back just for additional context, right, before I get into that story. Like one of the things I'm really trying hard to do, uh, you know, and I've been trying this now for a long time, I'm not perfect at it, but I'm trying to capture areas of value from everybody that I engage with. Like I literally have a tab opened and I have a slot in my calendar every day to write down an area of value that I'm taking from somebody and an area of value that I'm providing to somebody so that I do know that the next time I engage with that person, there's an element of recognition in that. I was invited to a meeting yesterday. It was a virtual offsite meeting with an extended team that my team work with. And so before I went to that meeting, I thought about many things that I could talk about. I thought about many things that normal leaders, sales managers could talk about. But uh, I, I said to myself, let me go in there and let me write down every single person in that room, one thing of value that I've taken from them since I've known them. And I started off the meeting by talking about that, just sharing that with them, right? And so it's one of the things that I'm really trying and making an extra effort to do because any good salesperson can be a good sales manager by just knowing how to run deals. The difference between good and great is, is that ability to do what most are not doing to elevate the team, the business, the customers, and the partners that you represent, which is how we got to the idea that you just referred to. So every Monday morning, we have a team call. And for the first 10 minutes, it's, this is religious, religiously abided by. For the first 10 minutes, we call upon somebody in the organization and we give that person gratitude. And everybody on the call, there's probably like 40 to 50 people on the call on average, and everybody on the call has an opportunity to say something about their experience with that person. It really creates this phenomenal environment for everyone, not just by recognition, by also learning about everyone and learning about what others are saying 
about that one specific individual at that moment. Mm. What I'm hearing, Rishan, is when you talk about any good salesperson can be a good manager by running a call, but there's several layers beyond that. To me, what I'm hearing is this is the difference between managing a group and leading. There's 100% yeah. Paul. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And it certainly makes the difference because I see it. Uh, and, and I see it in their attitude and, and just how they come together as a team. It's wonderful to see. So I'd encourage anybody watching this who's not doing it to do this, as, as you say, religiously. Make it a part of how you go about meetings because most people come to weekly meetings, if I'm honest, with a sense of dread. And it's like, oh, here we go again. But imagine the attitude they would come with if they knew that exchanging that gratitude was part of it. It's, it's, it, and giving it, it gives you a lift as much as receiving it. So uh, I, I think that's uh, 100%. magic. And I, I agree with you, right? And I'll give you another quick story because it's very similar to what you're doing. So recently, you know, just as I described, I always look to people that I can take something from and stay close to those people, right? Because I know where I want to be in my own journey. And so I've been very privileged with learning a lot of leadership uh, qualities, skills and styles and different ways of doing things from all the leaders that surround me. So I thought about doing a fostering leadership series a couple of weeks ago. So I literally went to all the leaders within our business and I said to them, I have an idea. I'd like to schedule a one hour call every other Monday. And I'd like to invite a totally optional call, but I'd like to invite every individual contributor that's not in a leadership role today, or does not have a leadership title, because they could be in a leadership role just without the title, to come into this session and to learn about what is it that we do as leaders and what is it we should be doing as leaders and learn about how they can grow and, and craft their own skills to be coming into the, some of the roles that we're in if they have a desire to. And so every leader was super fascinated by that. And so I took it even one step further. I said, okay, well, to eliminate preparation as much as possible, I'll come up with a, a set of questions and we'll do it like the way you and I are doing it right now. What is leadership to you? What is your principles? What is your philosophies? And then at least a 15 to 20 minutes for an ask me anything fireside chat for any one of the guests. And so there's a lot of energy and a lot of excitement about that because I really think it's a great opportunity. There's not a lot, a lot of organizations that foster leadership. It's, you know, in the sales world, you make your number, you do well on your scorecards, you get promoted, right? I know it's, it's, it sounds very binary and it probably isn't that way, but typically that's how you, you transition, right? But there's a lot that goes behind the scenes around quality leadership, around elevating people, elevating sales methodologies, applying sales methodologies, talking about what, is to, what, what, is, what does it take to be consistent? How do you be consistent, right? And there's a lot of those elements that go into leadership, which I think is gonna be a good opportunity for us to foster leadership during this series. I'd like to just go back a moment and look at that journey from sales rep to leadership, sales leadership. It, it, it always sounds nice, this nice, easy path, and of course it isn't. I'd like you to talk to me a little bit about some of the challenges that anybody embarking on this journey are going to come up against maybe share some examples and then look at some of the lessons that you've learned from those. The biggest challenge, Paul, that individual contributors face by going, before going into a leadership by title role is thinking that they do not have that experience or thinking that they 
they're too junior in a lot of ways to be in that position. And you could not have the leadership by title role for a long period of your career, but you could be a phenomenal sales rep, for example. You could be a phenomenal individual contributor. And if you think of that challenge, or if you think that is a real challenge, you're limiting yourself from what you could potentially be great at. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If, so one of the things I did when I was an individual contributor is I did the same thing that I did prior to me getting into the career that I was in. I went to every single leader around me that I had access to and I asked them questions. Why do you do what you do? And what is special about what you do? And what is most difficult about what you do? And what are some of the biggest challenges that you face? I go back, I don't ask them for the sake of asking them just to acquire information. I go back and I say, all right, well, if I was in that role, how would I tackle that? How would I, how would I handle that situation? How would I handle that tough situation, that tough customer, that tough employee? How would I enjoy the success? How would I uh, leverage the success for my own growth? And I would go back to the person and be like, well, hey, here's some of the ideas I have. I could be way off the mark, but I could be able to give you some, a, a value point or two. And automatically what happens there is, is you're not just learning about leadership. You're honing in on your craft. You're building your own brand and your skill set for you to organically grow into a leadership role. And suddenly those challenges don't exist. Right. Yeah, it makes sense because what, I think what you're saying is that a lot of the traits of leadership that you can practice those as an individual contributor. You can look, for example, show gratitude as, as an example of one of them. Uh, take initiative, uh, help others out, all of those things. They, they, they don't have to wait until they're ready, right? The only time, so here's my opinion on that. You're 100% accurate. My, the only time you're not in a leadership role is as if you're standing alone on an island and there's nobody else around, right? This is something that I regularly talk to my team about. For me, leadership is, and I took this from the great John Maxwell many years ago. For me, leadership is being able to effectively communicate so that you can influence people and you can provide direction. And as long as you're a team player, as long as you're a teammate, as long as you're working with a group of people, you're always put in a position to have an element of leadership mm. in what you do. Mm. Uh, and I'm a firm believer of that. I once heard it described as leadership is influencing people without using any authority. That well said. Mm. I, I, well I wasn't said. the first to come up with it, I promise, but uh, <laughs> I, I, it, it said it sat well with me. It was, I, I've summarized, it was more of try, I was, I was doing this workshop many years ago when I worked in Motorola and the guy said to me, I want you to persuade me as if I was a child and you had no authority over me. And it was that double-edged sword of trying to explain it simply, but also in a way as a, just do it because I've told you, right? It wasn't that, that they had to get them to want it. It's, it's that, it's that not, you know, you're not bringing a horse to water, it's making the horse thirsty so they make their own way there, style. And, and, and that kind of stuck with me. Um, I'm, I'm curious uh, what, what you like to do to unwind. And I know you have a family and I'm sure that's a big part of your life when you're not at Microsoft. What else? What do you, because families are great to spend time with. It's not always the most relaxing time because if you got young kids, you can't take your eye off of them. There's always something to be done. So beyond that, what do you do to relax? You know, I actually have a very close friend of mine that's uh, all the way from Limerick, by the way. And him and I go out on a hike every weekend. Yeah. So hiking is my thing. I, I can do it in, in any 
weather at any time of the year. It's one of the things I really enjoy doing. I also do a little bit of a podcast where I talk to leaders uh, and I record it and I share it with, uh, with anybody that would like to watch it. Primarily talk about leadership, primarily talk about people's journeys and how they become into the roles that they're in. I really consider that a part of my self-care, to be honest with you, because I enjoy it so much, Paul. Mm. I don't consider that as work, even though I might be staring at a screen. Like a lot of the time, I'll, I'll have the question, how do you find the time to do that? Well, I find the time to do that because I enjoy doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and I make time yeah, yeah. to do it, right? Yeah. And so those are some of the things. But more, more importantly than anything else, I have uh, turning eight and turning six-year-old kids. I'm sorry, what uh, ages? And they're turning eight and eight six. Eight and six, oh, okay. Yeah, that's still yeah. pretty young. So currently seven and five but almost at the eight and six mark. Yeah. And uh, we're normally running around trying to find bad guys, catch bad guys, save the day every day. Yep. Right? And that's our thing. And that's how we have fun. And that's how we unwind. Mm. It just detaches mm. us from everything else that we do. Mm. That's it all. What are you doing to stay positive in the current world environment with pandemics? That's a great question, Paul. That's, that's, a, that's a phenomenal question, right? Because... There's a many easy ways to answer that, right? But uh, I want to give you the most authentic answer possible with that and, and reality, right? And then bring you into reality because it's hard. It's hard. It's easy. Like just this morning um, from South Africa. So my wife was driving the kids to school this morning and she got stuck in the snow and I had to grab a shovel and run outside and shovel around in the snow, right? And so it's very easy to detach to negativity and complain and oh, the world is against me and, and not be positive all the time, right? And uh, it's important to continuously focus to, on being positive. And one thing I always realize is that if I'm not positive, not that I should be oblivious to reality in any way, but if I'm not positive, it's hard for me to expect the people around me to be positive, number one. Number two, you have to follow the basic habits. You have to follow the basic habits of life, which is eat right, sleep right, exercise. And uh, you know, just be composed and be organized and take care of yourself. Because if you don't take care of yourself, as you know, everyone can say this, you can go on YouTube and go on the internet and everyone will tell you this, but it is a fact. You don't take care of yourself. It's very hard, very hard to be positive. It's very hard to, to manage those things around mm. you. And so that's, that's my simple view yeah. on how to and stay I, positive. I'm, I'm wondering if you do anything uh, on a conscious level. For example, one of the things I've found myself doing is I listen less to radios, radio chat shows where they're talking about it the whole time and they're trying to create headlines almost and same with some of the newspapers that I think because a lot of mainstream newspapers have gone digital uh, they've lost their subscription so therefore it's almost like their titles have become clickbaiting and they're trying to draw you in and I found one of the things I had to do with, but it was a conscious thing because I have always enjoyed listening to radio and reading newspapers uh, above and beyond the kind of the standard things that you do to try and stay positive. So I'm one of those, those folks that can watch the news for hours, but uh, still not let it impact me. Right? I have more of uh, entertainment and more of interest and curiosity that happens during that moment. It doesn't really bring me down. Uh, I try to keep, you know, as, a, as an immigrant, you know, you have, I've learned that I've had to have some element of resiliency because if I always thought about not getting a work permit in time or not getting a job on time or not being able to fly back 18 hours to see my folks on time, if I let that continuously creep into my mind, that's going to really hurt me and it's really going to take away my energy mm. levels and have me focus on being positive mm. all the time, right? So I've found ways 
well, I know you're gonna ask me what those ways are. Um, I just dis- I made a conscious decision a long time ago to to try and be as resilient mm. to those mm. type of challenges and those type of pains mm. as much as I could. Mm. Now, what I'm fascinated, and I, 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 I get it, I'm fascinated with is the immigrant bit because something I read months ago, but it was about that people who are come from warm climates uh, co- don't cope as well with last minute changes to plans. And it said, and it was contrasting them with say people in Ireland. And, and where, the, now this was theory, but where it came from was that, certainly when you live here, you have to be prepared for any weather when you go out, but also be able to adapt and say, look, well, we planned on doing this, but look, weather's changed, so therefore we need to do this. Whereas if everything is still and doesn't change, then if something does bump, it, it seems to disturb you more. So I'm, what I was curious about, or fascinated about that was the, 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 the environmental impact has on how we interact with the world. And what you're saying there is your, uh, the, the emigrant experience makes you more resilient and, and gives you a toolkit, I guess, to compartmentalize things better. Yeah, look, so I, I have the, the, the crystal clear answer for that question, but I don't, it's, it's going to sound a little scripted and cheesy at a point, but I'm, I'm going to tell you that the original, the, the truth, which is it's all in here. I'm a firm believer that it's all in here. That shock, that adjustment of the weather, it's just the beginning. It's only the beginning. Like, I, when I moved to Canada, like I expected it to be much more colder than it is, I'll be honest with you, and it's not. Mm. <laughs> um, not that it's not cold, it is cold, but it's not colder than I expected it to be. There's not more snow than I expected it to be. Mm. And uh, so it's, it's not really a shocker in any fashion. Mm. But when I look back at my first time to the US, mm. when I first landed in New York City in, 20, in early 2015, yeah. and it was actually in the winter, and that cold, only the it, it only got to me and bothered me, I would probably say for the first few weeks. Mm. But after that, it was all, well, I'm living with this. This is what I want. I continuously think about why am I here? What are my goals? What did I make the decision to come here? Am I, am I gonna let the weather or the culture shock mm. really impact that? No, mm. I'm not, definitely not. Mm. And so I always try to tell a lot of folks uh, and friends of mine that continuously think about making the move, and I have conversations with friends back home on a regular basis that, that you know talk about making the move. And uh, I always say to them that in the beginning it's hard. Like don't think it's easy. It is easy, right? If it's not hard in the beginning, then I'm, I'm surprised, and I probably wasn't as strong as I thought I was. But in the beginning, it's always hard. Mm. But it's all a matter of how quickly you can adapt and how you can mentally adjust to make sure you're focused on exactly what mm. the reasons were, what the foundation mm. was, why you've done what you've done. And, and that will determine how quickly you adapt, grow, and move mm. forward. I've noticed a common thread in a number of your answers. You bring a lot of things back to why. Why am I doing this? What's my goal? And I'm just wondering if that's something you're conscious of or is just something you grew up All with. All the time. All the time. All the time. Mm. All the time. Look, I'll be honest with you. Like I, I continuously think about that every day. I, I have my... my my goal, I'm typically that, uh, you know, it's, it's probably known to be old school now with the vision board and the goal charts and writing down all your plans and all that. I still do that, Paul. Mm. I have that. Mm. Like, I have that. I continuously think about that. 
and that's where my mind is focused and I'm going towards that plan. Now obviously there's, there's variables that exist along the way, there's twists and turns that can go up, that can go down along the way. I uh, never want to be oblivious to change, but I continuously think about the why mm. all, all the mm. time. Have you ever thought about putting together a gratitude board? And I'll explain what I mean by that. So the vision board, as I understand it, is, is more of a goal setting thing where you visualize the things I want. And that's good because it creates a sense of positive tension by which these are things that I'm now driven towards. Sometimes that, if, it, if it's just that, it can leave you feeling a little bit dissatisfied because there's always something else you want and it doesn't allow you to take time out then to appreciate all the things I have. And this is something I tried and I never really developed it fully, but I, the, the bit I did, I, I, I got a lot out of it, which was to, in the same sense, visualize all the things that I have achieved, whether that's college, family, things like starting my own business, jumping out of an airplane, whatever, right? But as I did it, it brought back that, or I guess it balanced out that sense of, dis, it's not dissatisfaction with things you haven't achieved, but it's certainly a, there's a knowing sense of something that's unfulfilled, right? But also then by balancing that or, or counterbalancing that with something else that says, but look at all these things over here. I, I just, I and I'm just curious to know if you've, if you've ever pursued that or thought about it as a... Every day, Paul. Okay. Every day. Every day. Interesting. It's also something very high on my list. Every day, always taking an appreciation, yeah. uh, taking stock, basically taking stock of everything around yeah. me. Every day. Yeah. Every day. That's, that's a super critical thing to do. Um, and, you know, I wanted to, to come to Ireland. Probably wanted to spend more, much longer there than I, than I did. But I did it. Mm. I'm, I'm super grateful mm. for that. And the same with mm. every other place that I've been to. Mm. Same with every other job or, or success or milestone that I've achieved along the way, right? Uh, where does that come from? Because I don't know that it's a natural human trait to be grateful and, 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 and apply gratitude. I think as humans, we're often designed a natural trait is to be dissatisfied because that's what drives us. And I'm curious to know, is that something you grew up with? Is it something you, were, you consciously developed? Well, that, that for me, I would say number one is developed. Primary, it's a primary development uh, that's based on my journey. Mm. So, I'll give you an example. If everything else would have failed tomorrow and I get the big X, I'd have to go back home. I'd have to start from the ground up, right? And it's one of the things that comes from my passion and my journey of traveling everywhere. Like, I could at any point in time get told, well, hey, you know what? You're not Canadian. You're not a citizen. You gotta leave. All right? Bye bye. Nobody owes you anything in life, right? Nobody owes you. You're not entitled to anything in life. And that's the one thing that's important to be aware of. And so I could go back home. And so it's important for me to continuously recognize that the journey that I've been on, recognize the opportunities that I've had along the way, recognize, appreciate the luck that I've had along the way as well, the great people that I've had along the way, all the milestones that I've encountered and executed upon along the way as well, and continuously be grateful for that. Because at any point in time, I don't know if this comes from just being an immigrant or if this just comes from being lucky and being fortunate with the journey that I've been on. But at any point in time, it could end. Make no mistake, it could end. Uh, just like my dad's business ended uh, when, when I was a teenager, right? So at any point in time, it could end. And so that's where gratitude is really yeah. developed by it, right? Yeah. Is this really understanding that nothing is perpetual, yeah. nothing is permanent. Things can change, 
What gives you, apart from your family, what gives you the greatest sense of accomplishment in life? I've, so there's a lot to be grateful for, a lot of accomplishments to be grateful for. Um, you know, family definitely number one, right? And and I feel like my my second greatest accomplishment would be to do the things that I plan on doing for my family and achieving for my mm. family. Um, let me see, accomplishment number two. You got me on the spot there a little bit, Paul. I got to think about that it's okay. one. Um, it's okay. Pierre, do you kind of pick out one that stands out in your mind and said, you know, I'm proud of that? I'm proud of leading a world-class organization for one of the largest companies in the world. I'm extremely proud of that. I'm extremely proud of the fact that it wasn't easy, but it happened and uh, it was accomplished. It's still a long way to go, but it was accomplished. The opportunity was accomplished. I'm extremely proud of that. Mm. I'm extremely proud of the entire path that I've been on to get to where I am today. Mm. And I think you should be. You deserve it. You've worked hard for it. Thank you, Paul. What's next for you? Where's there is the kind of, you look out now the next 10 years, what's the big plan? Make an impact to people. I want to really, 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 like when we talk about the learning mentality, the growth mindset, one of the reasons I stay close to you, Paul, is because you're a sales guru. I hope I hope you uh, don't. Uh, I hope you enjoy that term. But uh, you know, one of the doesn't say comfortably. I will tell you that up again. And I don't because here's the thing. Here's why I don't like it, and and it's on not I'm not having to go at you at all with this. But here's why I don't like the term because it it's to me it's it's up there with when somebody describes you as an expert. No, you're not. You're a learner. You're on a journey. You don't know everything. You're far from it. I may have an opinion on certain things and I have an insight and I have some experience, but that's it. And that's why I just, it's always just, when I hear people describe themselves as gurus, it never sits comfortably with me, ever. Because as soon as you start doing, thinking that, and, and perhaps it's my interpretation of the term, is that there's a sense of, I've arrived, I'm here now, uh, I've learned it, and there's nothing more. And to me, that just doesn't make sense. Does, does that make sense? That, that humility there, right there, is a trait of how you become the best and how you continuously grow and how you continue. I read it in a book earlier. It said, say this, if Rishan ever brings... <laughs> I'm only kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you can see it doesn't sit easy with me. I just, it's, I, and therefore, I, I use humor as a defense to, to kind of... Whoosh. But, uh, but thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. I 100% mean that. And you know I'm not saying that for the sake of it, right? Because... You and I have regular conversations all the time about this. And so, you know, for me, when I think about what's next, what's next is about making an impact to people and elevating the way people operate today that I serve and continuously doing that and continuously finding ways to bring value and delivering on that. Mm. And so how that tied into what I said about you is, is that I can't do it on my own. Mm. It's not possible. Mm. I'll continuously seek ways from the experts, or maybe you don't like the word expert, from the people that I respect in the fields around me to come in and help me do that and help me make that impact together. And that's what is next. When you eventually shuffle off this mortal coil and may that be a long time coming is, and there's a plaque written in your honor, what would you like it to say? Nothing, honestly. Like I, I don't really think about that to be honest. I just wanted to say it was, it was a good dad, it was a good husband, it was a good family guy. It was a good person to be around. That's, that's more important to me than anything else. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I want my, 
I want my kids to to walk away with that more and my wife obviously to walk away with that more than it being publicized in any way you know that's more important to me than anything else that seems to be a good place to leave it Rishan because we are up on time and it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today thank you for being my guest yeah of course thank you for having me Paul I appreciate it I enjoyed the conversation myself